you're listening to and explore your ability in production. I'd like to begin by acknowledging the traditional owners and the custodians of the land on which this podcast is recorded on today, the eight clangs of the Yorta Yorta Nation. I also pay my respects to their elders past and present. Hi, my name's Chris Stevens Todd, and you're listening to Out Loud, exploring LGBTIQA plus topics and stories. Welcome to another episode of Out Loud. This week, we're going to be talking about surrogacy and my journey through the process of becoming a parent, a father, a rainbow family, whatever you may like to call it. it was a very long journey, I would say. Overall, it kind of took, I would say, a good t- over 10 years, really from the first moment of us really looking into being parents to much being born. You know, going way back, I always knew I wanted to be a parent. I think that was something I really struggled with, with my sexuality and thinking and knowing that I was gay because I thought, well, that's going to make becoming a parent really hard because obviously me and my husband or me and, you know, whoever I was going to end up with in life at this point because I wasn't with anyone then, we had the same bits. So that wasn't really compatible to making a baby. That was something I really had to deal with and that it was a potential reality that I may never be a parent. And then met Damien and I was very open, I reckon, from the beginning that I wanted to be a parent because I thought, you know, we're going to be together and hopefully long-term, spoiler, we're still together 15 years later and so it ended up being long-term. So having that open communication around wanting to be a parent was, you know, we need to be on the same wavelength for that. I don't think they've ever really considered having a child or really thought of it much until I came along and brought it up. Then we looked into it. We went to a few conferences and and we met up with some families that had children back in 2009. And kind of, we just slowly, you know, when things popped up, you know, went along and listened and, and did things. Part of me, I think, that really thought, you know, and it's kind of a silly kind of you know, part for this, but I, at this point, kind of thought, God, if I don't have a child, at this point in my family, you know, my last name's going to die out, and there's not going to be any future generations of Todd's, because I was just a Todd back then. You know, my sister, she married and had children, but they took their father's last name, and she took their um, his name when she got married. My brother, at this point, only had a daughter. You know, she, even though potentially... You know, she may keep the Todd, but she might get married at a later stage and change her name too. So, and my cousins, they were all females, like my dad's side of the family. So I was like, well, you know, and for me too, a part of it was if I don't have kids, my branch on the family tree ends with me too. And, I, you know, part of me just felt that was really depressing that, you know, the rest of my family's branches will continue on the family tree. Uh, they'll have kids and well they already had kids and then they'll have kids and mine will just be me I kind of I'm a really big history person and I I love looking back at and um, looking at my ancestors you know it was something I did during COVID times and you know went way back into the like the early 1700s and and there's such rich history and once again I just thought well that's going to end with me so 
you know, that there was another reason why I wanted to have a child because I, I wanted my history and my life to go on and, and I guess for me to, you know, at least not be forgotten straight away. Uh, it take a few generations before, you know, you're, you're forgotten and not talked about. So, but yeah, uh, it wasn't really until 2015, I would say, that we became really serious around the whole process, of, you know, of having a child and looking into that and surrogacy. You know, we didn't want to adopt. We had looked at that. But in Australia, you know, adoption is generally children who are coming from a foster care system. And generally, as well, kids with a trauma background. And I worked in the industry. So I was like, well, I don't think I could work in the industry and have it in my home as well, 24-7. You know, my husband worked loosely in the in the industry as well. You know, there was a lot of crossover and it was just something that we felt wasn't for us. We wanted to do surrogacy. And once again, you know, we'd spoken about numerous times around who would would donate and donate the sperm as well and be you know because both of us couldn't um in our situation so we'd spoken about that and it's expensive and we thought well you know how are we going to afford this as well because we both work in community services and these our, our jobs are not high paying jobs they're love jobs we do the job we do because we love it and we're we're helping people it's not a job that pays highly it's not accountant lawyers that type of thing that I, I tend to find most gay dads, especially Melbourne-based gay dads, all come from very high-paying jobs. So that was almost another thing, that barrier for me was like, well, I don't see myself in all these people that I'm catching up with and seeing and listening to because their life is very different to our life. A, we live in regional Victoria and we work in community services. So how are we going to afford this? And we looked at it, we thought, well, why don't we ever bear half a house out? We were in a perfect situation where we could, you know, have a house in, down the middle, you know, and us live in one part and have people come and stay with us. And that money can, you know, be our surrogacy funds. So for, you know, many years, over six years, I reckon we Airbnb'd half a house out and, you know, had that sacrifice that we would interrupt our privacy and our time and have strangers every other day, weekend, coming into our home and and helping fund our surrogacy that then led to us looking into nepal we knew some people that were going down that path and had been there and we you know got in touch with some agencies over there and connected and we picked out her egg donor and we didn't get to pick our surrogate through that process someone you know you just get matched with someone and that person carries your child and the surrogate that we picked, you know, she was part French and, um, you know, we had a photo and a bio and everything on them. We were like, right. And it aligned in a time where friends of ours in Shepparton were going over to Nepal for a sort of part documentary around some of the recovery work on the earthquakes because Nepal was still very much being in repair from the earthquakes. And we, you know, went along with them. So there was a group of six of us. We kind of made it into a two-part trip we went to some orphanages and we did some a lot of um community work in nepal and meetings and which led to a very funny story of us ended up in the newspaper in nepal named as ambassadors from australia which somehow our minder who took us around kind of um i don't know if there was a translation error or something like that but 
uh, we had to make speeches at this meeting. The people thought we were a lot more important than who we were, which was funny because I was just in shorts and a singlet and thongs, and, and here I'm making this speech about tourism that I knew nothing about that just had to, you know, say on the whim, and um, and then was given like the orange flowers as a special honour, and, and then, yeah, we end up in the newspaper the next day. And um, so, you know, we had a really great trip. And then part of that was we would branch off and away from the others, and we went to the hospital and started the process of surrogacy, and um, we were given the contracts and paperwork and met some doctors, and I went into a, um, it was a very odd, you know, there wasn't a room available, so I had to go into a cupboard, and I you know, left a sample of sperm, um, which would then be frozen and help create our embryos. And our egg donor was meant to be around there at the same time, and um, we didn't meet them. But it was a really interesting moment in the Nepal law and courts, because uh, the court, yeah, I don't know exactly if it was one part of the government, but it was challenging the laws around surrogacy in Nepal because it had become quite big. and But while we were also there, we were experiencing and seeing, you know, things and coming to a part that we didn't agree with the surrogacy process in Nepal either. You know, we met up with some other parents that were there because there was many people stuck in Nepal at that point in time because the law was changing that um, the government wasn't allowing babies to leave the country, even though they were you know, from another egg donor, whoever the, you know, intended parents was, some of them were, you know, from eggs and sperm from both, like, you know, heterosexual couple, but because they were still born in Nepal, they weren't allowed to leave. So there was a lot of people stuck there. And we were talking to them about their process and their journey. And it just came, you know, that we, it wasn't really for us. And we didn't really agree with the way the surrogates were probably looked after either. The fact that we didn't get to meet them, it just felt very kind of, you know, other women in Nepal doing this by choice or their families forcing them into it and they don't even see the money that we pay for them to do it. So then, apart with the law changing, we were like, okay, this isn't for us. We're not signing any contracts. We're not paying any money. And we flew home. And it was a little bit disheartening because we're kind of like, oh, well, now we're back to square one. And what are we, what are we going to do? So I think from memory, we took a bit of time off. I was just like, look, I need to recoup. I need to just, you know, enjoy life for a little bit, then come back to it. And I forgot even before that, actually, we, we looked at doing surrogacy in Australia with, with some friends, some friends that offered to carry for us and doing it the old school kind of like turkey. I can't think of the words now. I was going to say turkey blaster, but I definitely do not think that is the terminology um, used. Um, but yeah, we we went through that process with two two friends, and and even then, you know, it just came down to it that it wasn't going to work, and you know, and all that. So we had gone and looked at other avenues locally. It just got to a point I feel where yeah, I needed a break, live life, and just not focus on it. And unfortunately, I always had that motto, like, um, and would say friends, you know, when they were looking for a relationship and it just wasn't working, I'm like, well, stop looking and it will just happen. Unfortunately, um, you know, we couldn't just stop trying the process of having a child and it will just happen for us. And that's the same with like straight couples, you know, when they're trying to have a baby and they're really on a schedule 
it it just doesn't happen. And when you relax and you stop trying, it generally happens. But I just needed to recoup and re-energize, I think. And that's when someone I knew mentioned Canada. And I was like, oh, I haven't heard of this. So I got on the internet, looked up Canada, sorry, I see. And, and I discovered that Canada had the same laws as Australia. It was, uh, you couldn't pay someone to be your surrogate, but you could cover their expenses. So I got, uh, I looked at different agencies and discovered that there was one main one that a lot of people had used. So reached out to them, connected, and then they helped connect me to an egg donor organization and the fertility clinic as well. And they worked closely all together. So it made the process a lot easier. The first part was looking at egg donor and that process was like getting a login and you logged into this website and you had a you know there was just lots of different profiles it was almost like a dating website in a way you know you click on someone you look at their photos you read their you know medical history their education but it broke it down to like their siblings their parents their grandparents it gave you a really thorough kind of look of this person's history and anything possible you know anything that there was really to look at and know to try and pick who you wanted the other side of your genetics to mix with you know you had it all you know from eye color from like grandparents eye color to grandparents hair color to body size weight all that type of thing so i you know for me i have very fair complexion growing up i had blonde hair green eyes and very pale skin and you know part, you know part ginger so i was like i don't want my genes to be cancelled out by someone with very you know black hair brown eye features you know people in my family and my genes are generally quite strong like my sister's kids and my brother's kids like we all you can tell we're todds and you know i look apparently look like my father my you know we all look my my brother look alike so i thought my best chance of having a child that my genes will be strong I was like looking at anyone that had really fair complexion and features that I just thought my features would be um, my genetics will go really good with that and um, so we looked through a lot and and we settled on one we came up with this one profile and uh, it kind of just ticked all the boxes of what we were looking for as well you know put in for you know that profile and then it's about looking at whether someone else has also you know put any interest in that person as well and then there's a process too where you could do a shared egg donor process or not and what the shared process was that if there was someone else that was interested you could halve the costs and when there's the egg retrieval that you would have half the eggs they would have half the eggs the other person but we didn't want to do that. We kind of thought, well, no, you know, sometimes you can't estimate and know how many eggs you've got to get through the retrieval process. So we were like, we'll just pay, you know, full price to have this, you know, egg donor by ourselves. Because then if, you know, we only get like six eggs, you know, and then not all of them eggs are going to work out either. So then, you know, it just gives us full chance of having them all. So we did that, which, you know, we were lucky in the end. We actually got around over 30 eggs in the egg retrieval process so we were very very lucky and i think in the end 15 of them um you know survived the process so once we had our egg donor then you know it's about being matched with the surrogate so once again we fill out a bio and and they just try and match us with someone and someone came up and it was like 
I still remember it was January 2000 and must have been 2017. No, 2016. It was January 2016. We're like, okay, cool. This is exciting. And we got put in contact with the person via email and we're talking to them. And I don't know, there was just something that didn't seem 100% that there was a few red flags that we had. But at the same time, I kind of wanted to ignore them because, you know, we, we waited for this process and this time for so long where it was like, you know, you've got kind of got goggles on and you don't, you're not really seeing clearly. And as time went, there was just a few things happening and then they had to pull out because their child uh, ended up becoming a little unwell. And it was like, yep, no, that's fine. You know, you got to do what you've got to do. But then we were kind of relieved by that, even though it meant once again, we're back to square one in terms of surrogate, like our, having a surrogate. And we, at this point, had booked our flights and our accommodation in Canada to go over in June to then, you know, leave a sperm sample. And then the idea was that, you know, the egg donor would meet us there as well. Um, not necessarily meet, but they would all be done at the same time and they would create the embryos and then freeze them. You know, well, that's what ended up happening, freezing them. Or if we had our surrogate, all three of us would be there at the same time. They would do the egg retrieval, create the embryos and then implant some of them and then freeze the rest. Then it came to... We flew to Canada and so it became June 2016 and we didn't have a surrogate and we were on our way to Canada and that was okay. It was fine. And we just thought it'll, you know, it'll happen. It'll happen when it's happened. And at least then uh, the embryos will be created and they'll be ready to go. Even that was a bit of a drawn out process of, you know, with the, you get your egg donor, you go through a lot of medical tests. We do, they do. And, you know, once again, you know, it's, you know, they've got their own life and things and work that they've got to do. And it's not necessarily always on top of their list to get some of the tests done. So then that dragged things out, trying to get the egg donor to do some genetic tests. And I was like, well, what tests are they? Can I get them? Because then if I don't have this, then that cancels out the issue. Because there's certain things that I guess if you both have a certain gene that you carry, it means there's higher chances that the baby will have a certain condition and things like that. I am a carrier of a um, a blood condition. So if the other person's a carrier, then our child would have that. So it's kind of them kind of things. And I was like, well, why don't I just get the test done and I send you the results? And that was, they're like, oh, yeah, you could do that. And I'm like, well, great, because then I won't actually have to pay for it because we had to pay for all the other tests as well. And, you know, they were done in Canada. You know, I can get the test done here. And in Australia, I don't pay for it. So I did that, got the test. So it does pay to ask a lot of questions around what things you can get done, you know, that eliminate and rule out the egg um, donor having to get things done. Yeah, so we went and flew over to Canada and we had a meeting with our surrogacy agency and a lawyer. So we engaged also with a lawyer in Canada that would help us with all the legal formalities um, over there. So we had a lunch with them and we're talking away and just, um, you know, halfway through the lunch, the surrogacy coordinator person that we had was like oh my god i think i found someone for you you know was showing us their profile and i was like oh yeah you know you know see if they're interested and we'll go from there and you know in a day or two you know we had a match with this person as time went on once again there was a few red flags there wasn't you know that husband but he wasn't ever really a part of the conversation that we had and then you know, there was just certain things that, it, once again, it was being delayed. It's like, well, the embryos are there. 
you know, like, what's the hold up? What are we doing? They injured themselves at work and then just need time to recover. And in the end, I think because of their injury, they became depressed and one, they just weren't in the right mind frame. And we're like, look, you know, if this isn't something that you can do at the moment, that's completely fine. We understand, you know, we just need a kind of decision whether we can, you know, we move on or, or what it's going to be. And, and they made the decision that they'll have to pull out and can't be a surrogate. We're like, yep, that's fine. And once again, you know, we're back at square zero. So I thought, well, let's do something a bit different. And I created a video where I took photos of many things that we do and enjoy. And then I, you know, spoke over top of it and explained who we were and then gave that to the surrogacy um, company and said, you know, share this with, you know, your um, surrogates Facebook group. And I put it on my Facebook and it was shared from there. And we had so many people from that wanting to work with us and be our surrogate, you know, that we, and then there was one person that felt they resonated with it. And, and our coordinator was like, look, I think we found someone. She wants to speak to her husband. She really thinks that she connects really well with your story. They've spent time in Australia. Um, they've named um, one of their children after a place in Australia. They've named one of their dogs after a place in Australia. Uh, they feel that the activities and things that you do are very similar to the things that they do. And um, she just wants to speak to her husband and just see what he thinks. And I think in a couple of hours, you get back that, yep, you know, they want to be our surrogate. And from that moment on, we were then, you know, connected via email first. And then we said, oh, you know, do you want to add each other to Facebook? And we started a Facebook group chat with the four of us. And it was really nice because it was the four of us, because it's really important that she has support and her husband's behind her on that. And we got to know each other, all of us. And so we had this group chat. And whenever we chatted, we always chatted in that group chat. Everything just felt right. And then all of a sudden, it was like, oh, my God, this is what it feels like to then have everything aligned and, and not have any red flags. And it then really showed that the red flags we had with the other two surrogates, we really should have listened to and said, you know what, this isn't going to work. You know, these are, you know, things that are popping up. So if you do have, if you're listening to this and you're in the process and you have red flags that pop up that you aren't sure about, you really need to listen to them. And as hard as it is, because the wait can be so long sometimes, and and more so now, I feel, you know, this was back in 2016 when it was not as popular as it is now, you know, but you got to listen to them because it is a really hard, long journey and it needs to feel right. And then all of a sudden... You know, it just breezed through and it was us, you know, obviously then working out, all right, well, when can we do the transfer? The embryos were there, they're created, frozen. And at this point we had 11. So out of the 15 that then went through out of the 30 eggs, 11 embryos survived altogether. You know, uh, our surrogate wanted to wait. She had a young, she had two young children. She wanted to wait until one of them the youngest was at least one. And we're like, yeah, we fully understand that. So we picked a date in, I think it was April to do our first transfer in 2017. We went through, you know, and, and that's a long process of lots of um, working with the fertility clinic and, you know, um, you know, we, we had a bit of, I think, I don't know if there's communication errors with our, we were wanting to do a very natural um, cycle and things like that. And um, it, it turned out that a lot of the medication and other things wasn't, you know, it wasn't communicated very well. Um, and, you know, and sorry, it wanted to do a natural cycle. And, and we were very supportive with, 
everything that they wanted to do because a it's their body and they've been pregnant before and knew you know we just trusted everything that they were doing happy to you know do all that and um you know this was someone that when they were pregnant with their second child had run like i think half a marathon you know while they were like i think six months pregnant so they were they were very fit and we're like you know we're here to help support you as well so you know it was then you know having to inject a lot of things hormones i'm not really sure what it's all called so went through that and the first transfer and i remember we then flew to thailand for a holiday we just arrived in thailand and i checked my emails and information and learned that the first transfer didn't work and i was just like shattered and like okay well we're not pregnant i now need to like enjoy my holiday and um that was hard needing to also wait a little bit of time in between this, that transfer and the next transfer to allow the body to heal a little bit and go through before the next round of hormones and injections and things like that. So it was then working out that time frame. And then the second time in looking at it all was looking at, you know, the transfer, but then gluing a, a process that where we glue the embryo to the side of the uterus. And we're like, yeah, let's do that. It gives a higher chance at sticking because it's already stuck to the uterus and taking. And then I remember, I don't know if it was like how many weeks afterwards it was, uh, but I remember our surrogate sending us a pregnancy test where it had two lines on it. And I'm like, oh my God, we're pregnant. And I sent it to my best friend and I'm like, and she's like, oh my God. And I'm like, I know. And even then, you know, it's very early stages. We had to wait for the blood test and all that. But uh, our second transfer worked and we were pregnant. You know, it was just like, all right, well, we're just going to get through the next few weeks. And that was really hard, you know, obviously the 12-week mark. You know, people knew our journey. We had a very public journey as well. And it was hard to, you know, we told people, yep, you know, we're pregnant. But obviously it's in the early stages and, you know, very nice and bittersweet telling our families that we were expecting a child and, then, especially once we were past the 12-week mark, then, you know, we attended appointments, you know, via Canada and, um, you know, FaceTime. So we would have to get up at all sorts of the hours and um, FaceTime in to doctor's appointments and ultrasounds and things like that. I still remember being in Bali and, you know, tuning into our ultrasound to find out the sex as well. And there was a sound issue, so we couldn't see. We could see everything, but we couldn't hear. So we're like, but they couldn't quite understand that we couldn't hear. And we messaged, we're like, well, we we didn't hear what it, what it was in the end. And as I it was like, well, the scarf I was wearing was just very fitting color. And we're like, oh, crap, what scarf was she wearing? I'm like, I didn't remember. And then she sent a photo through with what scarf she had on, and it was pink. And we're like, oh, we're having a girl. I was a bit unsure because I'm like, wow, I know what to do with boys. You know, I'm a boy, a male. And, you know, girls are going to be a whole different ballpark. But we we were just thrilled. You know, then it was just that waiting period. And I had all the apps and, you know, where it talked about what size the baby was each week and monitoring all that and slowly putting the nursery together and just, you know, that constant open communication with our surrogate and our husband and family and and then planning for when we were going to be in Canada. And um, and because this story and this process is such a long story, we're going to have to pause it 
I'm going to have to then move the next part into the next week's episode. So thank you for listening to this part so far of our journey through surrogacy. And you're going to have to tune in to next week to listen and hear about the birth and the shenanigans and adventure that we had in Canada and getting home with our young daughter. So thank you.